You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. Today we have an extended reading from Isaiah, chapters 3 and 4. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty, and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys your princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will repress, oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. And that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For look on their faces for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to them. For they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors. And women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts? The Lord says, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantingly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness, and instead of rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn, empty. She shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. 
And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over his assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. This is the word of God. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away, Isaiah says this morning. I wonder if you know that sometimes the best thing God can do for us is to take something away. I wonder if you know that sometimes the best thing God can do for us is to take something away. How many of you parents have taken something away from your children, something good, because you wanted to see them grow in character and virtue? This is part of good parenting. God is a good father and he loves his children and sometimes the best thing God can do for us to take something away. This is not something we like to think about. We would rather not hear this sermon this morning. We would rather Isaiah not talk about this because let's be honest, we like a God that gives us things, a God that blesses us, not a God that takes things away, right? We would prefer to think about God giving more, God growing us by giving to us instead of God growing us by taking things away. But it's plain as day, right here in Isaiah 3.1. The Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem. Here's what I want us to see this morning. God loves us enough to take things away so that He might give us more of Himself. That's the point Isaiah wants to drive home. God loves us enough to take things away so that He might give us more of Himself. In Isaiah chapter 3, we see God taking away two things from His people. First of all, stability. Look at verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. At first glance, it looks like what he's taking away is provision, right? Bread and water. But as we keep reading, we see what God is actually taking away is good leadership. He's taking away from his people good human leadership. The judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain. All these people who play important leadership roles in society. God says, I'm taking that away. And the reason you're going to lack basic necessities, the reason things are going to get a little chaotic, is because I'm taking away leadership. And so what happens? Verse 5. And the people will oppress one another. Everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, 
and the despised to the honorable. What I like about the Bible is that it has a common sense understanding of what we all know about human nature, right? Uh, The Marxist ideology would say, hey, actually, what creates oppression is structures of leadership. And so really, if we want to reduce oppression, let's get rid of structures of leadership. God says, no, actually, what prevents oppression is good leadership. And when you take leadership away, here's what happens. People oppress one another. Every one his fellow and every one his neighbor. When, when we're removed from good leadership, we're out to get what we can. It's every man for himself, and that means we exploit and use one another. The youth will be insolent to the elder, the despised to the honorable. There's no longer a, a right sort of honoring of those who are older and more mature in society. It's every man for himself. Cormdale, I wonder if you know, I wonder if you see, what a gift from God good leaders are. God gifts good leaders to His people because He loves them. I wonder if you see the gift of God that good leaders are. I'm so grateful for the elders and the deacons of Quorumdale Church. I'm so grateful for the people God has given us as a church who lead us and who serve us. They're good and godly people. And when we're led by good leaders and we have good and godly people helping the church thrive, that's a gift. I'm so thankful for being part of a broader movement of God in our nation and in our world and that we get to partner with a network like Acts 29 and that within that network we get leaders like Ray Ortland, who was here two weeks ago. That those are the kind of people that we get to interface with and lock arms with in the mission of God because good leaders are a gift. Good leaders are a gift from God. And in Isaiah's day, God was judging his people by taking good leaders away. And so here's where things end up, verses 6 and 7. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me a leader of the people. Man, there are three dudes here. Do you see this? A man, his brother, and his father. None of them wants to take responsibility. This is an exercise in passivity. Hey, you be in charge. You take responsibility for our household. No, 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 man. Don't put me in charge. No, I'm not your guy. I want you to see the embarrassment, men, that passivity is. It's the opposite of God's intention. It's an indication that things are upside down. It's a sign of God's judgment and God's displeasure. God intends that men would take responsibility for others, for the people around them. Men, you ought to be taking responsibility for the people around you. You ought to be first in line to step up to take the responsibility of church membership. You ought to be first in line to step up and take responsibility for leading your missional community. You ought to be the first in line to step up to teach in children's ministry or to pursue being a deacon or an elder. 
God intends that men would take responsibility and a sign of God's judgment is the fact that men, rather than taking responsibility, are arguing about who's going to be in charge. No, 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 don't, not me, someone else. This week I took a couple days of solitude. Part of a rhythm that I try to practice every month. And one of the things I did, sort of the Holy Spirit prompted me to, was I prayed by name for every member of our church. Just spent a long time just praying for you guys. And this is one of the things that the Spirit was prompting me to pray, is that God would steer the men of Corumdale away from passivity. That we wouldn't be this kind of men who say, no, 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 hey, let somebody else do that. There's probably a good woman out here who'll take responsibility for teaching kids. It's not really my thing. Probably somebody else out here who who can take responsibility for my missional community. I'd rather just show up. I I just was praying that God would deliver us from passivity and move us toward responsibility, that that He would save us from, from this kind of judgment right here. Verse 8 tells us how things got this way and and why God in judgment is taking away good leaders from his people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Or, Or literally the text says defying the eyes of his glory. What was the problem? The problem was not that the people of Judah and Jerusalem were radically anti-God kind of people. They're not atheists. They don't hate God. The problem was they're defying the eyes of His glory. The, The word glory in the Old Testament is a word that means weightiness, heaviness, significance. God just wasn't that significant to them God wasn't that important to them God wasn't that necessary to them he just didn't have weight in their lives he wasn't compelling they didn't want a God who was weighty enough and significant enough for them to reorient their entire lives around the nature of what it meant to worship that God rather they wanted a God who fit nicely into just the compartments they wanted to keep him in Sunday worship Social niceness, everybody get along. God's glory, God's weightiness wasn't what they wanted. Verse 9, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. You know your face tells a lot? They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. There's no sense of shame or embarrassment or guilt about their sin. They're just who they are. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Hey, you righteous people, even when things are getting crazy around you, you remain steadfast. It'll go well with you. Woe to the wicked, it will be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. So notice, 
Verse 9, they've brought evil on themselves. God's judgment here is not arbitrary, it's not capricious, it's not unwarranted. They're reaping what they have sown. And, verse 12, notice that God, at the same time that He's giving them what they deserve, He's turning them over to what they have sought after, He laments the state of them. Verse 12, Oh, my people. Oh, my people. God takes things away not because He hates us, but because He loves us. He loves us enough to take things away so that He might give us more of Himself. Look how we see His love even in verse 13 and following. The Lord has taken His place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of His people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. God is not standing by idly while these immature leaders exploit His people. He's keeping track. He's keeping account. He's standing in judgment. God is the holy judge. He won't let sin go unpunished. He's not going to let things go unaccounted for. He loves His people and He sees and acknowledges their plight and He's going to do something about it. So the first thing God is taking away is stability. Now, look at verse 18. In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scars, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings, and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. In other words, all the accessories that made the women of Jerusalem beautiful and sexy and alluring. Women, if you were given the choice between being profoundly godly, deep in character and wisdom and virtue and strength, if you could have that, or you could be drop-dead gorgeous, which one would you choose? The daughters of Jerusalem chose physical beauty. They found their identity in their appearance. They were more interested in being sexy than in being sanctified. Verse 16, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty. They are self-absorbed. They are self-interested. And walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes. The word wantonly means provocatively or seductively. There are enticing sexual overtones to the way they carry themselves. They are flirtatious. 
mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Doesn't really make sense to us. It's sort of a distant cultural reference. But in that day, part of what made women beautiful was that they would wear ankle bracelets. And so as they walked, those would sort of make noise. It was, it was sort of a, how the jewelry sounded. It was a way of drawing attention to themselves and their beauty. Ladies, how much of what you wear is calculated to draw attention? And what part of your body is it drawing attention to? Not the kind of thing you want to talk about at church, I know. But Isaiah wants us to talk about it. God wants us to talk about it. See, a a Christian woman dresses differently. A Christian woman dresses differently. It's possible, ladies, to be modest and beautiful. You know that, right? Modesty is hot. Modesty is beautiful. It's possible to be modest and beautiful. But listen to me, I realize you will never hear that outside this room. Your culture is always putting the pedal down toward being more provocative, showing off more, working harder to be alluring and sexy and beautiful. I want you to know, God wants something different for you. And you need to help each other with this. There needs to be within our church a culture of women encouraging each other in beautiful modesty. Not judging each other, right? Encouraging each other toward modesty and godliness. You can help each other here. You can serve each other here. The daughters of Jerusalem were brazen in their seductiveness. And so God in His severe mercy is going to take their seductiveness away. Verse 17. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. Verse 24. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. He's talking here, very honestly, about the Assyrian invasion. He's saying these beautiful, wealthy women of Jerusalem are about to become prisoners of war. And they're going to trade their amazing wardrobe for sackcloth. They're going to trade their beautiful hair for unkempt and unwashedness. Everything they treasure and value and find beautiful is going to be turned upside down. Then in verses 25 and 26, he sort of zooms out to speak of Jerusalem itself under the image of a woman. Your men shall fall by the sword, your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she shall sit. She shall sit on the ground. That's a dangerous sentence to mess up right there. (laughs) Seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying... We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. These women who were seeking to be provocative and alluring now are going to be reduced to begging someone to be interested in them. My friends, we worship a God who takes things away. Why? In order to give us more of himself. He can't fill us up when we're full of other things. 
He can't impress us with His beauty when we're impressed with our own beauty. He can't overwhelm us with His goodness when we're chasing after other kinds of goodness. And so because God loves us, He takes things away. Well, let's see now how God gives us more than we could ever imagine. The text takes a turn in chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The branch of the Lord is a biblical metaphor for the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord Jesus. See also Isaiah 11. The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and shelter from the storm and rain. Okay, Isaiah is painting a picture for us here. He's giving us an image. He's conjuring something up in your imagination. What is it? He's saying, in the Messiah, through the branch of the Lord, God's going to do two things. Number one, He's going to wash and cleanse His people. He's going to make us truly beautiful. Number two, He's going to create over all of Mount Zion a cloud, a fire, a canopy. He's going to bring us true stability, true security, true settledness. His presence is going to be with us. This image of cloud and fire is supposed to remind you all the way back to the book of Exodus of how God was present with His people through a cloud and through fire. It's a metaphor for the presence of God covering, securing, bringing stability to His people. Here's what Isaiah is saying. True beauty and true stability can only come from God. Don't you see that worldly security and worldly beauty are always relative? I mean, we learned this in kindergarten. You remember Snow White? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Well, it's the queen, of course, every single day until Snow White starts to grow up. And then one day the mirror says, you're no longer the fairest in the land. Snow White is. Immediately the queen is enraged with jealousy. Why? Because someone else's beauty has eclipsed hers. And that's exactly how beauty works, isn't it? You're always the most beautiful as long as there's not someone else who's more beautiful. But as soon as there is, you're no longer the most beautiful. Beauty is always relative. There's always someone else who can outpace you, who can outflank you, who's more beautiful and more alluring and more attractive or who threatens to be. And beauty is not just relative to others. It's it's even relative to yourself, right? Uh, Ladies, there are some of you who are profoundly beautiful and attractive, and yet what you feel on the inside is ugly and undesirable. Though outside people might find you attractive, you don't feel that way on the inside. 
It's not just relative to other people. It's even relative to just how you feel about yourself. No amount of jewelry or clothing or accessories can make you feel truly beautiful. No amount of attention from others can make you feel truly beautiful. Beauty is always relative. Stability is always relative also, isn't it? As long as things are stable, then things are stable, right? As long as marriage is good, then things are stable. But as soon as your spouse wants a divorce, all of a sudden things are very unstable. Things are always stable as long as you have a job, but as soon as you get the pink slip, now things are very unstable. Things are always stable as long as the economy is good, but when the economy tanks, things are unstable. Things are always stable as long as politically things are okay, but as soon as there's a threat of war or political turmoil or chaos, things start to feel a little shaky, don't they? Earthly stability is always relative. It's always dependent on something that we can't control. And so when our stability is found in those things, as soon as they get shaken, our stability goes away. God takes away false and fleeting stability and beauty in order to give us the only kind of stability and beauty that's true and lasting. He gives us true stability and true beauty in and through Jesus Christ. Listen to the promises that are made to those who are in Jesus Christ. Let's begin in Romans 8. It's a good chapter of the Bible. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, now listen to this list of circumstances, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us even when we're being killed even when we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered even when things are completely and utterly in chaos what i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor in case i missed anything anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord Is there a greater stability than that? Is there anything that is more rock solid and secure than that promise to those who are in Christ? Hey, regardless of what happens, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, that's a stability I think that lasts. That doesn't sound like it's going anywhere. That's true stability. Likewise, 1 Peter 3. Listen to what Peter says to you, women, and and hear it in echo of what Isaiah has just said about the daughters of Zion. 1 Peter 3, 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but rather let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the, catch this, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. 
Women, hey, great, you want to braid your hair, you want to put on some jewelry, that's nice. But listen, don't count on that to make you beautiful. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The imperishable beauty of the radiant presence of the Holy Spirit within you that never goes away and that can't perish and that even as you grow older and someone else is more beautiful than you or younger than you or sexier than you, you continue to radiate the beauty and the glory of the Spirit of God and you become more beautiful. That sounds like a beauty that doesn't fade. Sounds like a beauty that's not rooted in how other people perceive you or whether they consider you to be attractive and alluring. God takes away false and fleeting and earthly stability and beauty in order to give us true stability and true beauty in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises made to those who are in Him. Why would God take away stability? Why would He take away beauty? To give us something better, to give us something more lasting. To get us to focus on what actually matters and what actually counts and what actually is permanent. Look again at Isaiah 4, verse 2. You see this phrase again, we saw it last week. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. In that day, talking again about the day of the Lord. And remember last week, we said that the day of the Lord is actually two days. There is still to come a day of the Lord in the future when when the full finality of these promises will be absolutely and finally realized in the kingdom of God. But these promises have already begun. That age has already begun in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means these promises are true right now for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive right now a beauty that cannot fade away and a stability that cannot be shaken. Why? Because we get Jesus. In and through Jesus, we receive these things now. So this is not just some future inheritance for God's people. This is the present possession of all who rest in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. What makes the branch of the Lord, our Savior Jesus, beautiful and glorious? It's the beauty and the glory, the weightiness of His substitution, of His mediation, of His standing in for us. Don't you see that Jesus bore the judgments of Isaiah chapter 3 for His people. God took away from Jesus stability and beauty. Jesus suffered at the hands of wicked, immature, childish leaders. He suffered injustice. He was crushed by oppressors. His trial wasn't fair. Justice wasn't served. God handed him over to the loss of stability. Likewise, his beauty was taken away. He was marred beyond human form, Isaiah 53 tells us. He became ugly and undesirable and outcast. So that you could become clean and holy. 
so that you could be recorded for life in Jerusalem? So that you could worship at the new Mount Zion, enjoying the presence of God forever, welcomed into God's family, welcomed into His presence, welcomed into the the goodness of His people called together to worship Him. The branch of the Lord, Jesus Christ, is beautiful and glorious because He's the only one who can bring true stability and true beauty. God loves us enough to take things away so that He might give us more of Himself. And He has given us Himself decisively in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you took the judgments of Isaiah chapter 3 for your people. That these judgments that Isaiah is speaking about in his own day were merely a foreshadowing of the greater judgment that you took on the cross so that we might receive the blessing of being welcomed in, of being truly beautiful in You, of sharing in Your glory, of of having true stability because of the rock-solid foundation of Your love for us. So Jesus, would You just ignite our hearts with worship this morning? And then would You help us as we worship You to, to reject the foolishness around us. I pray for my sisters in Christ in this room that they would be driven toward the true beauty, the unfading beauty of Your Spirit radiating through them. That they would reject the lies of what the culture says they must do to be beautiful. I pray for my brothers in this room that they would be moved to lead and to take responsibility and that they would reject passivity and apathy. God, would you beautify us as a people? Would you make us more holy and more glorious and more virtuous as we look to you and as we see your beauty, as we see the branch of the Lord as the one who is truly beautiful and truly glorious? I pray you'd overwhelm us with your goodness and your beauty and your glory. Help us see you again and anew this morning so that we might be changed as we see you, as we believe your promises. In your name and for your sake.